Welcome back to Understanding Amos, where we look at the minor prophet Amos and try to understand his message and how it applies to us today. And again, we're just trying to introduce people to the Old Testament, maybe see it in a new light, make it a little more accessible, and uh, get some Bible into your day. And so we've been moving along, and we are now in the last chapter of Amos, Amos chapter 9. And this really brings the whole book to a close, obviously, it's it's the last chapter. But uh, thematically has probably the most hope uh, in the entire book. I mean, if you've been following along, chapters 1 through 8 are a lot about judgment, And we talked about how the main theme of the book of Amos, which is by the prophet Amos speaking to Israel, telling them to repent before it's too late, before God's judgment comes upon them. And God's judgment doesn't just take form in, you know, sending people to hell. It also takes form uh, in historic judgments in history. And and we see that uh, with uh, Israel here, uh, Amos is actually prophesying and and he's saying, look, if you guys don't turn from your injustice, from uh, subjugating the poor, from having unfair taxes, from taking bribes, from committing all this sexual morality, uh, from doing all of these religious feasts and festivals and shows of, of spirituality and yet not having any moral transformation in your life and in your society, if you keep going on with this hypocrisy, God's going to do what he promised in his covenant, in his legal bond that he made with Israel. He's going to exile them. He's going to cut them off. He's going, to, he's going to kick them out of the land. And that's not good. So Amos is trying, desperately pleading with his people, repent, turn around, turn away from sin, turn back to God, stop worshiping these false gods of the nations, and instead be who God made you to be. Be the light of the world as Israel. And unfortunately, Israel just keeps doubling down. Israel is a rebellious son, a wayward wife, a people whose heart is hardened toward God. And so here in this final chapter, the big idea that we see is that God gives a final vision of judgment and salvation. So Amos chapter 7 and 8 had uh, four visions that depicted the coming judgment, and they were warnings. And now in this fifth vision, we see another warning of judgment, but it also ends with a note of hope and of restoration and of redemption. So listen along as I read Amos chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight, at the bottom of the sea. There I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. 
Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So there are two big points here. First, God is going to judge all. But two, God is also the Savior of all. Maybe I should rephrase it. One, God is the judge of all. And two, God is the Savior for all. And I'm going to go into this a little bit. But first, we we need to understand that the land is so significant. Remember, the land of Israel was given as an inheritance to the people of Israel. God promised Abraham, you're going to have a land where your descendants are going to dwell. And then you look at Exodus. God sends Moses to pull a nation of slaves out into freedom to go across the wilderness to enter into a promised land that's going to be prosperous with beautiful land and agriculture and and livestock and all of these things that they're going to need to survive as a civilization. And so Israel is now established in this land, but this inheritance can be taken away if they don't Uh, continue obeying the Lord. So what we start to see is a lot of destructive language. In the beginning of chapter 9, there's this language of shaking, shaking the temple. And this is symbolic because in the Old Testament, the temple is sort of a a mini uh, model of the earth, of all of creation. And so when there's an earthquake, when the temple's shaken, it's this symbolic vision of creation being shaken, of the order being shaken. And you see this, again, this decreation language in verses 5 to 6. He, he talks about the earth melting, and uh, he talks about um, calling the waters of the sea and pouring them onto the surface of the earth. So if you remember in Genesis, God brings the land out of the water. Well, now he seems to be resubmerging the land. Now, this is not literal. This is figurative. He's saying that, that if, if creation is God uh, bringing order, then decreation is God removing order and allowing chaos to reign. So we see that Israel is also compared to the Cushites and the Philistines. These are Gentile nations and that he's going to shake them like he's going to shake the Gentile nations. In in other words, and this is a theme throughout Amos, that the judgment that God is going to bring out upon all the nations of the world is the same judgment he'll bring upon Israel. And in fact, in some ways, Israel is more culpable because they're God's chosen people. And so if they sin, how much more uh, is their punishment going 
to be. And the question is, well, what happens next? And at this point in chapter 9, you know, with this vision of the Lord standing beside a large altar, this vision is basically saying, look, judgment's coming. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Israel is so hardened in their sin that this is just what's going to happen. And that is what happens. 722 BC, the nation of Assyria comes in and takes over uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then later on, in a couple centuries later, Babylon's going to take over Judah. And that's what uh, the book of Daniel is about. So exile is God's like final straw. But even then, listen, in verse 8, he says that he will not utterly, God says he will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. In other words, God's going to leave a remnant. And, and we've seen this in other chapters of Amos as well. That despite God's discipline, despite his rightful judgment against his own people, God is still going to be merciful. He's not going to completely eradicate his people. There's, there's still a hope for Israel as long as, there are, uh, as long as there's a remnant of Israel, if that makes sense. If God still preserves some survivors, that means that God's not done with Israel. And that brings us to verses 11 through 16 when we, we end on a, on a happy note. Isn't that nice? Amos ends with a little bit of hope. And this shows us that God is Savior over all. And we see a, a very specific reference to the booth of David or the, uh, the, the, the throne of David. You could think of it like that or the house of David, that, that it has fallen, but God's going to repair it. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, David is told by God that he's going to have a throne that lasts forever, that he will rule over an everlasting kingdom. And when Solomon is born, David's son, Solomon kind of reaches the apex of power. He's incredibly rich, incredibly wise, and he leads Israel into this golden age of prosperity. And then something happens. Solomon's son's uh, son, Jeroboam, is, is wicked, and, and Israel ends up splitting into two. There's a big civil war, and that's why you have uh, Israel in the north, with the kingdom of Israel in the north, and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And then the kings get progressively worse and worse. That's first and second kings. And they are in danger of being kicked out of the land for their wickedness. And Amos is saying, look, that's bound to happen. So exile is happening no matter what. This is, <laughs> this is, there's, no, there's, a, there's no turning back. But after the exile, there's a hope of restoration. God's going to take the broken line of David. He's going to take this, this, this lineage of David. He's going to restore it. He's going to bring it back to its glory, just like the days of old. And something's going to happen that this rebuilt kingdom of Israel, in verse 12, they will possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. That's fascinating. So God is going to restore his Davidic king. He's going to restore the kingdom of David, the, the throne of David, the house of David. And David is going to bring in all these nations under his kingdom. And, and then in verse 13, God says, the days are coming. And, and, he, and he speaks about the mountains dripping with sweet wine and flowing from the hills and him restoring the fortunes of his people and, and rebuilding the ruined cities and replanting Israel. This, this planting language is used all throughout the Old Testament to talk about God uh, restoring Israel. And it says that he will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them. In other words, Israel is going to be so transformed, or at least the kingdom of God is going to be so transformed that not only will nations be grafted into this kingdom, but they'll never be kicked out of the land again. Why? 
because they will be radically transformed. They will have the Spirit dwelling in them. Think about in Ezekiel, when God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to this valley of dead bones, and these bones come to life, flesh starts being put on them. That's a symbolic vision of the resurrection of Israel, that this nation that was so hardened against God is going to go through this radical transformation. And it's going to be under this new Davidic king alongside Gentiles. Now watch this. In Acts chapter 15, 16 through 17, the apostle James quotes this passage and says, this passage shows that what's happening in the book of Acts is a fulfillment of Amos's prophecy. How is that the case? Well, what do we see in the book of Acts? We see a Davidic king being raised up. That's Jesus Christ in the line of David. As Romans said, raised by the, the, the Holy Spirit in power. Jesus is the Davidic king. And what's he doing? He's bringing in the Gentiles, all the nations called in his name. And one, one of the regions that the book of Acts speaks about is, remember, the, the mission statement of Acts is take the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Samaria, what is that? That's the northern kingdom. So the mission of Acts is, is for God to graft in the, the people lost in the northern kingdom that was taken over by Assyria and to bring in the Gentiles. And how do we know that people are being pulled into this new family of God? Well, the Holy Spirit falls, right? The Holy Spirit falls on Jews in Jerusalem, falls on Samarians in, in, in Samaria, and falls on Gentiles in the outer regions uh, in the Gentile lands. And so what's happening in Acts 15 is all the churches are gathering in a council and they're going, man, how do we deal with this? Like these Gentiles are coming to faith and should they be circumcised? Should they become ethnically Jewish? Like, how does this work? And James says, no, listen, let them be. Let them be Gentiles. Here's why. Because Amos prophesied that when God raised up his king, his Davidic king, that the nations would be a part of that kingdom. And we're seeing that happen right before our eyes in the book of Acts. So there's one narrative of redemption through history, and it's by God's grace. The Father, Son, and Spirit coming together to create a people for themselves. And what we often hear is, and I think St. Augustine said this, that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And here, concealed in Amos is the promise of a king who will restore what was lost, who will bring the kingdom back, and he will call all the nations back to God. And this is a message that resonates today. When we talk about good news, we're talking about a person. We're talking about the son of David, the Christ. That's a Greek word, Christos, the anointed one. It's a royal title. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed king. He has come and he has come to gather all people to himself, to bring redemption in his name. That's good news. And that's a message for us today. Amos still speaks because the gospel must still be spread. 